Missing in action. And the action is, I've been writing a book. Ay, ay, ay. It's been a blessing and a joy and a complete pain in the ass. But I'm looking forward to putting it out into the world. I'm current, it's currently titled Business is Human. Who knows? That could change. Um, but that's what it's um, called right now. And I'm super excited to launch it into the world, hopefully later this year. Um, and excited to get back to podcasting on the regular. So today's guest is. Courtney Carter, who is the CEO and founder of Carter Media Group. And uh, this recording was done weeks and weeks ago, um, actually well before um, many of the race riots and protests and just uprising that has happened in in our country and around the world. Um, but what's fascinating is many of the things that we cover in today's episode are really relevant to that conversation. And I just wanted to voice my support to the black community and the people of color that I believe the power of our stories has the only way that we can truly unite in humanity. So I'm committed to be sure that we, I share those stories for, for you and others. And today's guest, Courtney Carter, that's exactly what she does. Um, her business is a broker of people's energy and their stories and she represents clients in the entertainment industry that are, she's dedicated to innovation, being inclusive, and also disruptive in a way that can shift culture. Um, her clients, she has a small but mighty list of clients. Um, people like uh, Liza Koshy, who, uh, oh my gosh, please go to Carter Media Group and read the bio on these clients. It's just fascinating. Um she was voted uh, one of the 25 most influ influential people on the internet. Um, Forbes, Hollywood, 30 under 30. Uh, amazing story. She has a popular comedy series called Liza on Demand. She has, also has clients like uh, Ghetto Gastro, um, which is a group of four gentlemen um, that born in the Bronx and uh, really defined their business around food, art, music, fashion, and design, and the things that they're bringing, again, to disrupt culture and bring amazing stories. Um, um, just such an important, it's important work. Um, I, I, when we talk about this being part of the entertainment industry, you know, I beg to differ that this isn't about entertainment. This is about changing the world because the only way that we can do that is through our stories. And these clients that Courtney represents are, are sharing their stories in really authentic, courageous, bold ways. Um, Carrie Twig, um, her bio reads that she works at the intersection of politics and pop culture as a media personality, producer, and strategist. Um, her bio is just un unbelievable. Um, she also in Forbes, uh, Five Stiller Questions with Carrie Twig, an article that she um, posted for, for them that you, you need to take a look at, um, just amazing client list that Courtney represents. And also Salema Masakela, who was, um, really a, the voice of the X games, 
Uh, you may remember him from there. Um, and uh, his career has just taken so many amazing twists and turns and great things that uh, Courtney is doing with her clients. Please go to Carter Media Group, take a look at her list of clients and the links to their stories and the things they're doing to disrupt culture. It's so important. All right, here we go. Hey, Courtney, how's it going? Hey, what's going on? I'm glad we could get together. We we knew this was going to be a good conversation because it took us, you know, six months to make it. <laughs> when there is a will, there is a way. I like it. We worked really hard to get here, so I'm excited. Yeah, so, me too. Shauna, Shauna, who um, introduced us, just was raving. So I'm I'm honored to be here. Thanks for having me. She was a great guest. Absolutely. So you and Shauna met when you were both in the world of being an athlete. Yeah, we, um, <laughs> I, you know, when I looked at you said being an athlete, we are still athletes. <laughs> uh, we, we met working in kind of the industry of sports and events in New York City through this amazing organization we're a part of called Women in Sports and Events, um, WISE, as it's called. It's the only, you know, nonprofit um, out there that really serves to foster connection um, and championing between women in the industry of sports, right? Um, and so uh, in New York City, we were both working and uh, met uh, in working around the organization. And she's such a formidable, smart, uh, just like her spirit is like a good one. Yeah, you know, when, you, when, you, when you see a good spirit, you're like, I want to know her more. So yeah. really honored to now have known her and been a friend for... Gosh, over 10 years, which is crazy. Uh, I think we both left New York six-ish years ago. And it's interesting, this idea of uh, athletes and connection has come up a lot in my world lately. Mm -hmm. I just was asked to speak at an organization who's taking Division I athletes who are graduating but not going on to play professionally and giving them some really amazing tools to launch into the world of work and make that transition from being a top-notch athlete and, you know, what are right. the skills that translate in? I think that's super cool. Yeah. I, I will say that, um, there's a lot of transitional application to kind of your life as an athlete and in yeah. the, you know, corporate world, specifically in the world of sports, in the industry of working in sports, you understand the mind of an athlete. And so everyone in it, usually was a former athlete, frankly, right? Because they love it so much and they want to be in it. And so it's, it's pretty competitive. It's pretty fast-paced. Um, and, and you learn how to communicate or not, or, you know, have a good on-the-court or on-the-field disagreements and, you know, c come away from it. But teamwork, those types of things that if you weren't an athlete um, are, are learned later in life, frankly. Mm -hmm. Um, if, if you didn't have a team that you grew up and had to get through those kinds of, you know, interrelational kind of issues. Well, and that's why they're talking to me about possibly partnering is because they're launched out into the work and they don't really have a team anymore. Yeah. yeah and it's jarring and scary. And dealing with people who are non-athletes is hard. Yeah. So we were, we were almost luckier, right? Because we were like, it, we went into industries with former athletes, right? Who were we like, still spoke doing, the same language, same right, expectations. Right, exactly. Mm -hmm. We both like had a larger goal of our team winning or, you know, you know, whatever it was. I went into my first job was with, um, at Madison Square Garden with the New York Knicks and the Rangers and, um, the New York Liberty. 
And so the common goal is for our teams to win. Right. So, so even though, you know, I might not work for the, the Rangers every day or on every deal, it was like, oh, man, the, the building changed when there was a win. Right. That the, the, everybody was on the same page. Uh, and when you lost, you felt that too. Right. Yeah. And so um, you had that. Now, what I, I've never experienced um, in my professional career um, until maybe more recently is being an athlete and you have this common goal and you're working together and, you know, and then you go and sell insurance, right. Or you, you do something that is, is not tied to a passion point maybe um, that, and you're dealing with people on a day-to-day basis that don't have an athlete mindset. Very hard, like very hard to go from, a very high competitive, high intensity environment into one with people that maybe aren't as motivated as you and and have to like, you know. And what does winning look like in in the world of work? Like transferring that over to how to define what a win is. Well, you know, it's very hard. And I want to talk because you have been really intentional about your career and and taking the different, what I call unique gifts, talents, and abilities, and mm-hmm. kind of following this trail of where you wanted to be. And I want to, I want to talk about that, but I think it's important that we start with where you are now to give okay. context to the story, because I got super jacked up, excited about how similar <laughs> our work is. So tell, tell our listeners about your company, what you do. Sure. Um, so I'm the founder um, of Carter Media Group, which is a three-year-old <clears throat> management media company um, that that represents um, people, stories, and ideas. Um, that if I'm going to get you know into our, our catchphrase here, are innovative, inclusive, and disruptive, um, which is a a buzzy way to say we represent people the stories that they tell and the ideas that they have, um, which we think shift culture with a larger, with a larger purpose. So like it's, 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 it's a gift. I feel like every day that I get that, that our group of clients, we have, we have five clients, um, eight people, but five clients, um, all within the entertainment industry in some capacity, um, who truly wake up every day and want to do something that like has purpose. And I feel honored that they trust our company. Um, and me as an individual and the people that work with me, uh, to basically be the broker of that energy, right? Like, I love that. I say you're the broker of their energy. That's beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and obviously their livelihood. (laughs) So, um, you know, there's, there's a big responsibility, um, that I don't take lightly that comes with that. But, um, and we, we, we're in LA, um, and New York. So, um, we are bi-coastal and, some of our clients are in New York and some of them are in LA uh, and we kind of operate in the entertainment industry for the most part, kind of crossover into sports a little bit, but, but not so much um, at this moment in time. So yeah, we just passed three years, which is crazy. Congratulations. Thanks. So when you talk about the work you do now and the power of stories mm-hmm. to do that, to, to have yeah. those kinds of shifts, tell me about, just talk about that whole idea for you. Yeah. So it's interesting you asked that question because I think at least in LA, um, the whole, the whole, like I'm a storyteller, you know, 
is, is a bit overused, right? To that point where you're like, sure you are, right? Like, what's that mean? Um, but, but I identified with that kind of label about six or seven years ago, maybe eight years ago before people were throwing it around um, that weren't writers, right? That weren't like actually creating story. Um, because my, my background is quite interesting. I started in sports and the, the, the combination of the grain of sports and entertainment became a part of my life. And it was around that moment where I realized, wait, 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 even though, you know, my original, my first, my first, first job, I was on air. I was, I was a sports broadcaster. I did, I did like field pieces for Fox sports Northwest. So I was telling stories, right? I was, I was in front of a camera and producing segments. Um, but then I went into sales and I was, I was representing an intellectual property um, like the New York Knicks and the Liberty and MSG. And then I went to major league soccer and, and did the same thing and sold, you know, sponsorships and integrated partnerships. And, um, and then I went to ESPN and there I was more on the media side where I was really um, this kind of internal creative voice and builder between intellectual IP that ESPN had and advertiser IP. And then how we could create programs and campaigns and, and story that drive acquisition for whatever. Right. So I realized like, Oh crap. Essentially I'm just trying to identify a story that an advertiser can, can tell through the lens of whatever I'm selling. So that was the fun part for me. Like when you work in sports, there are certain pieces of inventory that you can sell. There's signage in the arena. There's contests that happen at timeouts. There's, you know, media on the website or the program or whatever it is, right? There is spots and dots as we call it, right? Inventory to sell. But I, I, that's not what got me excited. That stuff was like packageable for me that like kind of like filled in the gaps. But to me, the part that why people wanted to invest was what the intellectual property of the New York Knicks meant, right? What walking into Madison Square Garden felt like. So how could I come up with an idea that was rooted in what mattered to their business and to the feeling that they wanted their consumers to have that married up with that? And then could we create something? Could we create a story or a program? And maybe it was as simple as a contest at halftime, right? That like told that story to a captive audience at that time, right? And, and then putting a value to that, that's where I would win, right? I was innovative in how I would approach selling their product or their feeling to that demographic of people in those places. So when I realized what I really loved about that was probably when I worked at Summit MLS because we were very lean at the time. I started working there a few months before David Beckham came to the galaxy to kind of give you some, some context yeah. for timing. And no one really cared about soccer in the States yet. It wasn't a sport that the commercial marketplace paid attention to outside of trying to reach Hispanics. And they would then just do Mexican soccer stuff, right? And so, um, and we represented the Mexican national team domestically. And so that helped us kind of package things in. But when you were able to tell the story of what people were experiencing when they came to games, when you're able to tell the CMO of, one of the largest organizations that, well, mom and dad root for Mexico, but daughter and son root for the United States. 
that intergenerational story is so powerful, you should buy both sponsorships. You can't just buy the Mexican national team one. I think you're going to get the fandom or the, the brand, you know, um, advocacy of the children as an example. Um, and so that part was fun for me. That was why I loved what I did. I didn't like the cold calling, you know, and I did all the parts. I did the cold call all the way to the contract negotiation because we didn't have different groups that yeah. put all that stuff together right. at the time. Um, now there's multiple departments that are like, okay, we'll create the program. Then you just sell it. Um, and so I felt really lucky cause I was able to fly to the work, you know, fly to wherever that city was and sit with that CMO and, and explain to them the sport. And then, you know, here, and it was fun. And, and that's what I loved. I love the storytelling part and then making money off of it. So I went to ESPN and I did that. And I ended up working in narrative at that point too, doing some scripted producing of uh, like a short film. And I was like, Oh, I love this. This is where I want to be somehow. But I also love sales. So I always wanted to be around revenue generation based in storytelling. You have just hit on what every sales leader in the world needs to hone back in on. Because the, the great salespeople get story. I, I came from sales and this is why I'm in love with stories as well. And, and it just, why we love sales. I loved big paychecks too. Don't get me wrong when I get to say yeah. this next thing, like homegirl likes to make some money, but that wasn't my motivator. Mm -hmm. It was how could I connect? How could I contextually understand my client's story and how I could serve them? What could yeah. I do with what I had, my story, and how could I bring those together in a beautiful way that yeah. they felt different, their lives were different, that it had impact? Then I got impact paid really well for doing it. <laughs> Impact's a great word. I, I, and, and it was funny because people used to ask me like, so what, what do you get from working at ESPN or wherever, right? And it's like, yo, I get to be a part of creating an experience that's different for everyone in that arena or in that stadium. The, 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 the mother and the daughter that get to go watch the game, right? Those memories and those moments happen because there's a million people behind the scenes making that possible, that escapism, right? That's that, that memory building, that, that experience generation. So I always took a lot of honor and pride in being a part of like the production you know, of, of those moments for people. Um, and then as, as my career, you know, went on, I, I, it ended up taking me into actually the talent side of the business, you know, going from ESPN over to CAA as an agent and, and being with the talent that people see right on television, in the movies, you know, on the stages and going, okay, these people have agency. How can I help there's tell their story. How can I be a catalyst? How can I bridge, be a bridge of their energy that obviously is resonating because they're on television or they're doing whatever, or they're creating scale and audience and build that out to be more effective, right? Um, and to mean something um, that, to them outside of just getting a paycheck. Because at the end of the day, the talent, most importantly, they've got to get up and feel like they're not just 
jumping around on a stage for people dance you monkey know, dance right? you know That's and not like enough yeah you can't it, it's not you have to have purpose and so if I really um in, in what we do at CMG is we help our clients identify their purpose first and then I call it the three p's it's purpose then identify what are you passionate about what are the passions you have and then very, but you can't just be like, oh, I have purpose and I have passion. It's like, no, okay. So now once we've identified these passions, then how do they feed your purpose? Mm. If you have a passion that doesn't connect to the purpose, why? And like really explore that. And how can we connect it? Right? So once we identify the passions again that they have, even the ones that don't ladder up into purpose, we, we then really dive into like how and why does that not ladder up? How can we find that connection together? That takes some time, right? That's like real work some of the time. Sometimes it's very obvious. Um, you know, one of our clients is Salema Sal Mesakela, whom a lot of people may, may recognize as kind of the face, original face of the X Games. He was the black guy with the dreads and like he was the coolest and he really truly is kind of the voice of a generation, right? And the voice of, of action sports. And, um, but, you know, he was called Sal. Everyone knows him as Sal Masakela, but that's not his name. His name is Salema. And we had a very real conversation when we started working together. Because um, I said, tell me about your story. I want to know you. Because if you're out in the marketplace as a public figure, and you're not really truly bought into who you are, then it's not going to work as it, it could work. Don't get me wrong. It can work, but it's not going to be as impactful as you want it to be. If you aren't a hundred percent authentic to who you are. And when I asked him that and we talked about it and I said, well, tell me who Sal is versus who Salema is. And when we finally got down to it, the purpose was behind Salema. Sal was just easier to say on air at one point and it stuck. So, we are in a different place than we were, you know, 15 years ago. And people can say Salema and not feel um, threatened or um, uh, confused as to what that means or you know, where it's from. Uh, and then we can really dive into, okay, now how do you, now what did, who is Salema, right? What's the purpose of Salema? And then like, how do your passions of action sports and of identity and all these things. And then the third P is proposition. Ultimately, we you mentioned before, like making money. We're like, I want to secure a bag for myself, for my clients. You know, financial security is a real thing. Um, what's the proposition we're bringing to you, the consumer? Am I bringing you value because I'm bringing you like ideological gems on a podcast? Like, am I bringing you value because you love hearing me color commentate when Sean White's doing his thing? You know, like, what am I making you feel as a consumer? That ultimately, if all three of those are in alignment, you then create relationship with somebody and then tell a story to that person. And then that person ultimately has a wallet that they decide they have attention and they have, you know, time treasure and, you know, talent, right? So if you can, if you can capture somebody's time or their treasure, then you and there's multiples of that. Then you have a you have a business. You ha, you know you have something to make money on. 
I love that you talk about this authenticity piece because there's so much rhetoric out there about your authentic self and I've got to be vulnerable and I got to show up and do all the thing. And I, I think there's, there's interest, but people don't necessarily know how, because so many people, especially in kind of corporate America have been conditioned to only bring a part of themselves, the role that they play. And my bias, and now you, I hear from you loud and clear is you can't, you can't bring part of yourself to anything and, and be good at it. You just can't. And when we try to hide or just hold back any part of ourselves, we hold back all of ourselves. We hold back the good stuff as much as we do. Maybe the story that we didn't want somebody to know or the fears mm. that we have or the challenges that we've had. Anytime we try to mask any aspect of ourselves, we damped, dampen down and don't bring the full essence. And, and, and even people that don't know you and don't know mm. that about you, there's this spidey sense. There's this like, that's not the full story. And we don't mm. even recognize it. It's just, it's, it's how we interact as humans that you get a sense about people where you're like, huh, I don't know, something just doesn't feel quite right. And I bet if you were to ask him how he felt, not going by his actual name, there was probably always a part of him that was not yeah. fully there. Yeah. Didn't felt seen. Right. Yeah. And, and I mean, I, I truly believe this like a core foundational human need is to feel seen and you can't feel seen if you don't show up. I'm so, writing a book about this right now. It's about to sit. Good for you, edge. girl. I am. I am. It's, here's the deal. And it's, it's hard to show up because we've been conditioned since we were little children that like you are supposed to present a certain way. And the presentation may not be what you feel. And, and so we have suppressed. And I mean, this is a whole other thing on, toxic masculinity that we could go into, but, you know, like as it pertains to women, you know, who I think, you know, predominantly, you know, you speak to and, and listen to this podcast is we have been conditioned to be a certain way in a boardroom. And when you run a meeting, you need to be strong and you can't show vulnerability because then you're too feminine of a leader and men won't respect you or whatever it is. And in this day and age with the social media and all the things and me too, and you know, all of the things that have surround gender in, in the spaces we operate on a daily basis. If you can be authentic, if you can have the courage to be yourself, and I'm not saying like throw all your stuff in the streets, right? But if the people you work with the most, if you can really connect with them on a human level, there's going to be more respect there. And then when there's more respect, then there can be more trust. And then there's more trust. Everyone else then feels okay, maybe being more vulnerable. And then that's how things really get special, right? That's how they yeah. build. At least for me, that's it, in my experience, when you hold back and you're not as transparent, it leaves room for interpretation from Somebody someone else to <laughs> Somebody, I, that's what I always tell my clients. I'm like, look, either you tell your story or somebody else is going to make fill in the blanks. Like, which, which 
is a hundred percent. When I went to CAA, this was a, what I was tasked with. I, I became, I was starting a new area of business in the non-scripted talent group, which was if we don't have control of the story we're telling the marketplace, we're allowing the marketplace to tell your story. Why would you ever allow someone to do that? Now, some of the contracts that certain people were in are like, okay, well, you can't tweet. The, you know, there, there were, there's certain restrictions, right? Because you are a, an advocate, a face of a network who also is a brand. And, you know, there's, this was really in that kind of gestational period where it was like, the mother brand is more important than your individual brand. Mm -hmm. And these were a bit at conflict as opposed for the, the mother brand to be like, wow, if their brand gets better than ours, you know, tide makes all the tries, right? There was a moment in time where that was like in conflict. I think it's a lot better now, but people didn't understand Facebook and Twitter and, and Instagram. And so they I needed to control in. the message. They didn't want anybody to have their own. That's right. Yeah. And so, and so, What's been really cool to be a part of the movement, and this is where when I went into kind of personal branding in the space, it was like, if we can identify our message, create it, and then I was a, 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 you know, a vocal piece to, to take that message internally to the other agents who were pitching these people, who are representing them, and then also to the external marketplace. I'll use, you know, somebody I worked with was, was Wayne Brady. Right. And um, one of the issues that we had with Wayne, not an issue, but a, a concern was like he wasn't viewed as a black man by black people. There was a, a, a there was a a big group of people who were like, oh, he's a white guy. He's a white black guy. It's like, what the fuck does that mean? Excuse my language. But what does that mean? I'm a white black guy. No, I'm a black man who lives in America. <laughs> and 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 um, yes, I host a game show that demographically is watched by pretty much all types of people, you know? So, so, but what was difficult for us was like, how do we shift how people viewed him? Because it mattered for certain reasons. And it was, it doesn't matter what color you are, what you have is talent. And if you can just go at the trolls and the haters and the people with talent first, with authenticity and there's nobody can say anything. Nobody can say anything. Cause you haven't tried to hide anything. Cause you're not hiding it. Right. You're not just the guy with the microphone doing it. You know what I mean? And you're going and you're being yourself unapologetically. And he was doing that, but for whatever reason, you know, it wasn't working. So we, you know, we, we impacted the, you know, we, we hosted some things for BT and people were like, he's so talented. And it was like the thing, the reoccurring thing was like, he's so talented. And it was like, yeah, he's probably one of the top five most talented people in the entire industry. And we all saw that with a mass singer. People didn't know that was Wayne Brady, right? And um, and then we, you know, we got him on, he replaced Billy Porter on Kinky Boots. Like that was ultimately what we decided was like, well, what is the hardest thing that you could do? Replace Billy Porter on Broadway. <laughs> probably, you know, and he crushed it and people were like mind blown. And it was like, now his race didn't matter. Didn't matter what color right. it is now. Yeah. Nope. Oh, nope. I love that story. Yeah. And then, and then it happened again with Wayne Bray, with, with Mass Singer, you know, and it was, it was so rewarding for me to see him be seen, but not seen. That was also a great social experiment. Right. Um, he was heard and not seen. Right. Um, so, so yeah, man, authenticity is super important. And, 
it's different for everybody. So also respect for how you want that story to be told. And I think that's the key piece of it is that there's no template for this. Right. Everybody wants to say, and, and this is because, you know, the industrial age and industrial age education has told us that there's a test that you're going to take and there's papers that you fill out. And that's not the way life is. And, and we've talked earlier about this rise and thrive experience that I have with these seven women through seven months of their experience. And to get so cool, by the way, read all about it. Super, super excited. So awesome. When I said to them in the beginning, you're going to tell your story seven months from now, there was a lot of unraveling that had to happen to even think about having the courage, figuring out what that story was. And, and most of them halfway through was like, I'm, I'm, I'm not telling that story, even though they knew it was one they needed to tell. It took mm. seven months to really get to the point where they said, get me on that stage. And, and the results of it have been mind blowing in how their careers have taken off since the opportunities that they've been given, not because the, they were, it wasn't about the being on stage piece. Mm. It was that they showed up. You know, when you show up and be seen, allow yourself to be seen, people want to connect with that. That's a beautiful, beautiful thing. It, it truly is. I think like we, we've mentioned, we've said being seen a few times on, already in the conversation and it's being courageous enough to be seen as that fear, you know, that, 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 that we have as institutionalized, we just kind of like institutionally, a, a, absorbed these things through culture and there's nothing more liberating right than like being seen and then being celebrated and then it's like oh wow if I if I truly present myself through my purpose and that's and I just like got here in seven months like what what else could I explore in myself for my not Screw the job for myself, for the people I love, you know, for your families, for your friends. And, and then yes, of course, in your job, you're, you're, you're living in your living every day, but man, like we were around that four to five years old. We start, we start, stop operating from our heart and we start operating from our ego and that takes our narrative to places that ultimately we have to unpack if we want to truly get back to our heart. You know, one of the things I want to eradicate from the world before I go is that we stop asking really young children what they want to be. Yeah. Because then we immediately attach your worth to your job. That's bullshit. It's, it's, it's wrong. You think about it. Like, I've never thought about that. Yeah. And then, uh, and then the worst for me is when we start, well, we don't start every year. We ask these beautiful humans at a younger and younger age to literally claim a career so they can get on an education path. Yo, or like commit to a college when you're an athlete, when you're like a freshman in high school. What? Yeah. Yeah. Your brain's not even fully functional. <laughs> That's also in my book. It's it's literally insane. Your when brain- did you when do you remember first being asked 
what you wanted to be when you grew up? And do you remember what your answer was? I've thought a lot about this. Um, I think I used to just make shit up to just get them to stop asking me because I didn't know. Um, I, I really do because I don't remember it being like a thing. Mm-hmm. Um, looking back, I know in my heart, I wanted to be Barbara Walters. Yeah. But I never said it out loud because I was, I was on an acre of land on my grandfather's farm in a mobile home and people like me didn't do that. And even though I was, you know, good in school and cheerleader and small town, but I was just a little small town girl from, you know, small town, Indiana. Like that was, so how dare a, you want to be Barbara Walters? That wasn't even a possibility. Yeah. Right. But I think I just made stuff up just whatever, because I didn't really know, but not knowing wasn't an option. Mm. And, and now you even take the criticism that, that people, young people get around the type of career. Cause I can remember my son's 22 now and he's a songwriter and a musician and a guitar teacher and just following some of these passions around to see, you know, where it takes him. And we're very supportive of that. But when he was really young and people would ask him what he wanted to do, he would, he would say, I think I want to write the stories for video games. Okay. Now mm. when you're 10 years old and you say, I want to write the stories for video games, people are like, he, have, he was way ahead of the curve, girl. Exactly. He was way ahead. They would say, Oh, that's cute. You know, but you should probably get quote unquote, a real job. And the fact that's is, that's where all the real jobs are now. <laughs> it wasn't now they meet want, him. And what people assumed was he just wanted to play video games all day and wasn't serious about his life. No. He actually is passionate about story and why he became. Maybe he can write the music for some of the video games. I mean, he, it just, it maddens me to think that adults who have oftentimes a purview of five careers in their entire life, all of a sudden are are looking at a kid and saying, pick one. Right. Just, just pick one and then go spend, you know, thousands of dollars in education and hope that you picked right. Oh, it just blows my hope that Hope that you picked right so you could make money to pay off for the education. I mean, my, my whole daughter, other rabbit hole we don't need to get into. <laughs> my daughter is doing, she's starting, she's going to Ball State University in the fall and she's unclaimed. She's not sure what she's going to be. I'm so excited that Good. she didn't feel the pressure to just say something because, and because I've plowed it into her head from day one, like, you aren't allowed to decide and for a long time. Good like, for you. Go explore it. But yeah. That's, that's another part of your story that I love that I want to make sure that we tell today is even though here you are, successful athlete, so there's a little bit of a path there, right? You you knew that you wanted to, athletics was going to be a part of that story. Yeah. You didn't follow the exact path that you thought it was going to be. Tell us about that. Yeah. Um, you know, I always knew growing up that I wanted to be in sp- like sports and entertainment, you know, my dad only had, was, was in title and escrow and, um, but on the side, he like managed a band when I was really young, you know, and, and we weren't the family, even though I'm from Portland, Oregon, we weren't, we weren't the outdoorsy family. We were the family that like went to concerts, movies and sporting events, right? That's, that's what we did. And so that's what I loved. And soccer was my thing. And, um, I was lucky enough to uh, play at a very high level and, and get a scholarship in good Oregon state university go beeps. Um, this is way back when it was the pack 10 and in, 
my, um, also I had this purpose in me to be like a woman for others, to be a servant leader. It was something I've always, it's been like just instilled in, in my being. And, um, I've always loved governorship or like leadership type, type things. And so I became really involved in like student athlete governance, kind of became the, the president of the student athletes. And then it was like the president of the Pac-10 athletes. And and I'm going, and I was talking a lot to our athletic directors about, you know, how can we have an impact on young people's lives? Because these are like really formative years, but also like create great sport and great business and, you know, all the things that come along with that experience. And so I was like, I want to be an athletic director. I think, you know, me as like someone who wanted to like do things first, I'm like, I'm going to be the first female D1A massive football, basketball program, athletic director about the moment, 30. And I was like, that's what I'm doing. And so everything I had done with those governorship, like was towards that goal. Right. Um, and ultimately, you know, I ended up getting an internship in New York city with the New York Knicks. And while I was there, I was just trying to absorb everything I could. So I met with people from all MLB, NBA, NFL, like all these sports organizations. And I realized, okay, there's no college athletics really in New York city, but man, I love New York city. Like this is where I belong. I, I belong here. People are my speed here. I like how real people are. And um, I realized that the path to what I thought was my goal was going to be through a lot of small towns and, you know, being a small athletic director and then going to a, another university in a small town because um, big schools are usually in small towns. And, and I'd probably end up falling in love with a coach knowing the way that athletic departments operate and I would have an amazing life and I would live in a small town and I would have a beautiful family. But I knew in my, in my heart, in my gut that I was meant for more and New York was that for me. And so I could put off that goal. Time wasn't a thing. It was always something that I could be still to this day. It's sometimes I joke around that it's my retirement plan is to be an athletic director, which ironically would probably be the most stressful job because um, yeah. boosters. But, uh, you know, I, oh, I've never lost sight of that as an option still. So actually, every time I make a decision, I go, could I still, would this help me? Okay. So yeah, I decided to go to New York and then I just said, okay, God, a lot of prayer and like put my head down and followed my passion that like aligned with my purpose and opportunities arose. I looked at those. And so every time I switched jobs, I was very lucky that these came to me. I didn't ever leave something to do something without being afforded the opportunity to explore it by way of someone bringing it to my attention. And exploring is the key. You know, we, we, we've got to let go of this industrial age model that you, it's a straight line that you decide at this young age and then you go achieve it. It's, it's, it's just not the way it works. And then we set people up for disappointment. Right. And so this whole idea of you fell in love with New York city. And instead of just being so stringent about it, you said, you know what, this feels right. Mm -hmm. I'm going to follow this around. So I, I think life is more like this breadcrumb trail. We're not going back to something, but we're going towards something. We just pick up little pieces along the way and we're like, this feels right. And now I'm going to try this. 
well, this feels right. And then as we do that, we start to discover more and more and more about ourselves. Mm. But I have so many clients and so many friends that stuck with something because they didn't, they were afraid if they said it was not what they wanted to do, that they were wrong, that there's these right and wrong answers. And I'm like, that's just bullshit. There are a ton of right answers. We are not machines. We are people. And we yeah. should be, we should be encouraged to explore. Exploration shouldn't be defiance. That's really, I love that. Exploration shouldn't be defiance. I, and, and look, I'd also want to recognize I've been very lucky in that, you know, a lot of these decisions were me as a single woman. Um, and I didn't have a family to provide for. Um, and so I could make pretty unilateral decisions until, I was engaged and, you know, there was another person in that process. Um, and cause I, 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 I don't want to also take something away from someone that's like money's important because I have a mortgage payment and I have, you know, put my kids through school and, you know, there's a whole bunch of other factors, but, you know, ultimately as, as long as you are still learning I think that was always a key for me as I explored was, is that opportunity a little scary or a lot scary? The answer to that had to be yes. Because if it wasn't going to make me feel uncomfortable, then I wasn't going to learn. That is where we start to learn when we're uncomfortable. And so, and so why would I leave where I'm at if I'm not going to learn something new where I'm going And so if you look at my career, I started a team situation and then I went to a league and like federations. And so I knew and understood, okay, I know how this kind of operates, but I don't know how mom and dad operate. So like, let me go see how mom and dad make decisions. And then when I saw how mom and dad made decisions and how that affected the kids to make an analogy for leagues and teams, then I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But like, who, who gives them the money? to pay for all of that. Got it. Commercials and broadcasters. So how do broadcasters work? And so when I got opportunities to continue to learn how all the different seats at the table thought, I was like, why wouldn't I? Because when people would ask me the question, and I hated when they asked me this question in an interview. It's like, what do you ultimately want to do? And I'm like, I would sometimes facetiously, you know, I don't know, the white picket fence, the kids, the whole thing. I'll, you know, what do you want? Like, because that wasn't the answer, right? For me, I would always say, I don't know quite what it is, but I know I want to lead something that means something. Now, that could have been a department within a larger organization. That could have meant being an agent at CAA and having, you know, influence with clients. Like, you know, where I was, I was very happy. I was gifted the opportunity to start my own company because one of my clients believed in me and wanted me to be her manager and producing partner. But I had to look at myself in the mirror, married, trying to look to start a family in almost six figures of debt and decided to take a 60% pay cut and bet on myself to start Carter Media Group. And I knew ultimately I toiled over that decision. I prayed over that decision for months and months and months. And it's very simple. People are like, well, why did you do it? I said, because I looked myself in the mirror and I asked myself, would I regret not doing it? 
And if the answer to that question was yes, I had to do it. And the answer to the question was yes. And if I fell on my face and CMG didn't work, I was like, you know what? I'm going to go be a barista at Starbucks because they got great health plan. Like that's exactly it, it, what I used to say. And I'd really? add that I look good and green. I swear to God, that's exactly <laughs> what I used to say. They got a health plan and I, I look good and green. <laughs> I don't, I don't know how to use one of those machines. So I'd be learning. I knew, you know, I'd still be learning. Um, and you know, I like Starbucks. So it's, it's, it's at the end of the day and, and it worked, but I bet on myself and it was not easy. I remember, you know, I, I didn't make money for a year and a half, two years, went through a divorce. I mean, there was so much that happened in that period God, of time. I didn't realize how much we have in common. That's, that's wild. But, but, I, but you know, I, I feel like it's just so exciting when you get the opportunity to listen to yourself and not deny her or him. You have to know yourself in order to live with meaning and purpose. When people come to me and say, my life, it doesn't have enough meaning, or I, I know I should be doing more. Uh, that's my first thing is we, you have to start. I can help you listen to yourself, but I can't tell you what to do. I can only help you listen to what your heart's telling you because I felt the same way. I, I made a significant pay cut to do my own thing too, but I, same as you, I knew I couldn't not do it. Yeah. Um, and, and I also, when people would ask me what my plans were, even when I was inside of a corporation, I would say, I don't know. I haven't created it yet. Mm. Because I'm not, I'm not good at following somebody else's script very well. I prefer to, mm. to kind of write my own story, if you will. Understood. Um, yeah. But, but I think that's a great message to, from today as well is that you, if you have this just pull and this calling that says, I'm, I'm willing to just bet it all and not lead with money, but lead with story. Mm. Um, some pretty beautiful things can happen because you put so much into it when you lead from that place. It mean you get out of bed differently. It, I mean, it just, it, it, it's true. And I, I would also just say for, for, it's not for everybody too. Right. So like entrepreneurial spirit is and, and purpose and, and drive is very different and it can operate within organization and in creating organization. So I also don't think it's like they're mutually exclusive to each other. You know, there's not like a monolith of like, this is what it is. Um, so I'd also say that if you have an entrepreneurial spirit, you really enjoy structure and being in an organization with people, find the best way to be that at, in, in those spaces. And that's, I think it's massive. It's Disney, right? I, I was still Courtney Carter there. Right. But it was harder for me. Right. Because I was like, but this is a great idea, but like, Oh, it doesn't fit within the bureaucracy of the situation. So then how can I, and who can I talk to and how can we create something within the context of the parameters? Right. And that's when I used to say like politics is, you know, one third of my job because when you, when you work, you're trying to say, Oh, how can I, how can I, tell my story within the larger context of the story. So, but story, 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 not to be cliche about it. It, it matters. And if you, if you lead with purpose and you have faith in that, the money will come, but you have to propose something to somebody that needs something, right? You can't just have passion purpose and then not offer anybody anything. Well, and, and anybody that would be looking at entrepreneurial endeavors as a, how do I get out of what I'm in? That's the wrong answer. 
Right. It's not an escape strategy. It's a, I can't not do it. I'm drawn to it thing. It's not, don't run away from something thinking that's the answer. That's because it's not right. And then you can't be that within the structures you already operate. Right. And like bring a new, um, vigor and life to maybe you've been at the same company 20 years and you're just feeling a little stagnant, you know? And it's like, okay, well, like, how can I, like, I want to take this, your course. And I, and after those seven months, I, I realized my story is this. And it's like, oh, I'm so excited to take this to my organization. Yeah. Right. You don't a have to blow up 20 know. years. A lot of times people just discover a deeper part of their passion that they can use in a different way where they are, which is beautiful. I love it. So cool. So cool. I'm commending you like for, for really identifying that for yourself and then being able to like commoditize that and help people in a way that like is so synergistic. I'm just like, I didn't realize how much we had in common. And we jumped on the phone today. I was like, Oh my gosh, why why aren't you my neighbor? Like, Oh my God. Look at God. We would have the best conversations every single night. So I, this can't be our last conversation. So let's, oh, let's no. commit that, that we will either come back together again or find some other reason to work together. Cause a hundred percent. Well, and I will say, I'm going to like shamelessly plug all the things now. Yes. This I was going to say, <laughs> and how can we stay connected to you? Go. I'm like such a salesperson. No, so, do it. No shame in that um, game. Carter Media Group is is our management media company, and we have amazing clients. Um, Liza Koshi, who is a formidable female voice, comedic voice, and talent, and, and, and um, she got a show on Quibi right now called Floored, and she got a big movie on Netflix coming out um, called Work It, uh, which is like the dance version of Pitch Perfect. It's super fun. Um, and we have this amazing culinary collective by the name of Ghetto Gastro. It's really shifting. Uh, you know, what it means um, to kind of be a creative group of young black men in the world of culinary. Um, Matt Bellasai, who's a really hilarious comedian and writer who you guys might know. It's kind of, he had that amazing web series called To Be Honest or Wine About It, where he chugs a bottle of wine and complains about stuff or tells you how to live your life. Um, and Which is like my kitchen counter on most Tuesdays, but that's <laughs> different. Right? I mean, this, he is a spirit animal for women ages 29 to 50. <laughs> um, and he is a, uh, an amazing human. Um, Carrie Twig, who's a former Obama White House um, senior advisor and really truly a storyteller herself. She's, she realized that policy doesn't change unless stories change. And so she came out and on the other side of her childhood dream, at, before 30, she left the White House. Like, that's nuts. And she was like, oh my gosh, how, how do I actually make impact? And so she's making shows and television and things that will shift the way people maybe think because they didn't know, which is so cool. And then obviously we talked about Salema, but um, we're super excited to, to rep those people. You can find us on Instagram at Carter Media Group. Personally, my personal, if you want to follow me, uh, uh, C2SEETWO, little way to little play on my name there. But um yeah, we're, it's, it's an honor to be a guest here. And I, I, I really encourage you all to follow CMG. We promote all of our things uh, and all our people. And uh, let me know if I can be of help in the future. Or I appreciate being a, being a part of the podcast and considered a badass. You're the best. This was super fun. Let's do it again sometime for sure. And I'm not coming down. As always, thanks for being here. 
I hope that you're subscribed because over the next coming weeks, we are going to be releasing both the podcast and the video of the Stand Tall in Your Story event that took place just days before COVID-19 shut us all down. And the stories from these women from Rise and Thrive Indianapolis, you do not want to miss this. So hit that subscribe button. All right. Make it a great day. I'm not coming down. I never left it on the ground. I'm not coming down.